1: Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash
2: Tonight we're learning more details about just why the FBI searched Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago mansion. New documents provide new insight into the alleged crimes behind the Mar-a-Lago search. Willful retention of national defense information, concealment or removal of records, and possible obstruction. CBS's Catherine Herridge on the former president's growing legal troubles. Record-high apprehensions at the border. Tonight, CBS's Manny Bohorkas is in Texas, where the governor is sending migrants out of his state. You
3: don't know where you're going to go.
2: Rents skyrocket nationwide. CBS's Carter Evans tonight on why the rental market is red-hot. These
4: apartments are so popular, someone offered to pay the landlord 35 percent more than she was asking.
2: And CBS's Chris Van Cleve shows us how one city is using a roundabout way to keep people safe. The roundabouts keep traffic flowing, kind of like water.
5: This is the CBS Evening News with Norah O'Donnell reporting from the nation's capital.
2: Good evening and thank you for joining us on this Thursday night. Well, tonight we are one step closer to seeing parts of the affidavit that convinced a federal judge to allow the FBI to search former President Trump's Florida home. And now we know just which crimes Trump is under investigation for by the Justice Department. But the DOJ says the criminal probe is in its, quote, very early stages. Late this afternoon, a judge gave investigators one week to file a redacted version for him to consider unsealing. And in other Trump legal woes, a former top executive at the Trump Organization, pleaded guilty today to evading taxes and agreed to testify against the company at an upcoming trial. So we have a lot of news to get to tonight. And CBS's Catherine Herridge is here to start us all off. Good evening, Catherine. Nora, there's court action
6: today from New York to Florida that could have wide-reaching implications for the former president. Federal Judge Bruce Reinhardt found the Justice Department had not met the high threshold for showing the entire affidavit should remain sealed, and he ordered the immediate release of these procedural records that provide new insight into the possible crimes behind the Mar-a-Lago search. Willful retention of national defense information, concealment or removal of government records, and obstruction of a federal investigation. The judge agreed with media organizations, including CBS News, that at least some part of the affidavit that supported the search could be unsealed.
2: Balancing the interest in the public of accessing these materials against the interest in the government in keeping them secret.
6: Under today's order, the Justice Department has one week to propose what information they'd like to black out or redact from the affidavit. Information that, if made public, prosecutors believe would be a roadmap to the criminal probe and would reveal identities of potential witnesses and the FBI agents involved. How much of the affidavit will the public see?
0: I think we can look
4: forward to discovering a few more tantalizing for the most part, we're not going to see the core of what we're all very interested in, none of which will be good news for former President Trump.
6: And earlier today in a Manhattan court, the former chief financial officer of the Trump organization pleaded guilty to not paying taxes on almost $2 million in compensation. My chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg. In pleading guilty, Alan Weiselberg acknowledged conspiring with the Trump Organization to evade taxes, and he could be called to testify as early as this fall. The Trump Organization called Weiselberg a, quote, fine and honorable man, claiming he was harassed, persecuted, and threatened in a politically motivated prosecution. On Twitter, a Trump spokesman said the American public should be permitted to see the whole Mar-a-Lago affidavit without sections blacked out. Nora. Catherine
2: Herridge with a lot of news today. Thank you. Well today, federal health officials announced a major boost to the country's supply of the monkeypox vaccine amid a surge in new cases. Cases are up more than 30% in the last week to more than 13,500. CBS's Tanya Rivero has the new details.
7: Tonight, the White House says an additional 1.8 million doses of the monkeypox vaccine will be available starting Monday as cases of monkey pox are up over 30% from just a week ago.
3: Thanks for coming in. Thank you, sir.
7: And yet CDC Director Dr. Wachelle Walensky admits the government is still studying the vaccine's efficacy.
1: To be clear, we're learning how well these vaccines work against monkeypox
7: and in this specific outbreak. The CDC is also encouraging the switch to injecting just below the skin to stretch doses up to five times. Today, 20-year-old Edward O'Keefe finally received his first dose at this New Jersey clinic. There weren't
0: any appointments available, and so I found that pretty frustrating
7: and maybe a little scary. More than 50% of cases are among men of color. We're not reaching uh, men who have sex with men who are black and brown the way that we need to. And now cases among children are starting to rise. So far, 12 children have been infected.
2: Children are at higher risk for severe monkeypox. Uh, It can even be deadly in very young children. The most likely uh, source of exposure for kids in the United States to monkeypox is going to be through a caregiver.
7: The administration is also launching a new program, setting aside 50,000 vaccine doses for large events, such as the upcoming Black Pride in Atlanta and Southern Decadence in New Orleans, where one of the main events was just canceled due to monkeypox concerns. Nora.
2: Tanya Rivero, thank you very much. We want to go now to the southern border, where the number of migrants apprehended entering the U.S. could hit a record two million this year. And that is intensifying the debate over whether asylum seekers should be sent to places like New York City. Tonight, CBS's Manuel Bohorquez takes us to a Texas border town.
3: After being processed at the border, some asylum seekers arrive just a few miles away at the Valverde Border Humanitarian Coalition in Del Rio, Texas. A pit stop as they await a bus to their next destination, like Edison Gutierrez from Venezuela, who has it written down. Midland, Texas. Another Venezuelan, Angie Cordero, and her 10-year-old daughter, Joannis, know what they left behind. The hunger. No jobs, no trabajo. They don't know what lies ahead. You're in limbo, in limbo. You don't know where you're going to go. They may end up about 150 miles away at a facility in San Antonio where the state of Texas preps buses that will take some migrants to their choice of Washington, D.C. or New York City. Busing migrants out of Texas is nothing new, but as the number of apprehensions along the border remain at record highs, it's become the latest flashpoint in the debate over the nation's immigration policies.
6: For those that live in the northern parts of our country, it's hard to even imagine how crazy this situation is. It does not end. It doesn't stop.
3: That's despite about half of those detained at the border being sent back under the Trump-era pandemic policy known as Title 42. But the policy does not extend to those from crisis-stricken Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. A majority of the people we encountered along this section of the border who, like Angie Cordero and her daughter, keep venturing into an uncertain future. And just behind me here in Eagle Pass, Texas, yet another group, including children, have just arrived on this side of the border. Since April, 7,900 migrants have been taken by bus to New York City and Washington, D.C., despite the objections of the mayors there, who call it a political stunt that is taxing their resources. Nora.
2: Manny Bohorkas on the border. Thanks. Well, tonight, a judge in western New York has denied bail to the suspect accused of stabbing author Salman Rushdie a dozen times. Hadi Madar appeared in court after a grand jury indicted him for attempted murder. Rushdie suffered liver and nerve damage, and he could lose an eye. In tonight's Money Watch, the cooling housing market fell for the sixth straight month. Existing home sales dropped nearly 6% in July to the lowest level since June of 2020. Over the last year, home sales are down more than 20%. Well, those dropping out of the market still need a place to live, and that's causing rents to skyrocket. Here's CBS's Carter Evans.
4: Looking for a place to rent? Good luck. Michael Citrin is on the hunt in Los Angeles. He's a federal public defender with a legitimate complaint. I can't even tell you how many places I've applied for and been rejected from. You're a lawyer. You got a good job. Yeah. And you can't find an apartment? Yeah, and I'm looking with two other professionals as well. They tried to rent this three-bedroom bungalow in South Los Angeles for $4,100 a month until someone outbid them by 10 percent. I never have expected that there would be a bidding war. Uh, for a 12-month lease. Across the country, rents are skyrocketing, up 86% since last year in Redmond, Washington, 36% in Glendale, California, and in Pflugerville, Texas, near Austin, prices are up triple digits. It's all leading to battles for rentals. Why are people bidding so much money over the asking price? Uh, Really just due to competition. Post-COVID, people who were working remote are now coming back in. Blake Stargle listed this three-bedroom in L.A. for $4,700 a month. I got 50 inquiries in the first 24 hours. We had offers up to 5,500 on this property. Rising mortgage rates are partly to blame. Locking out would be home buyers. All of those things will put uh, upper pressure on rents. And so now those people are fighting for apartments in the rental market again. Absolutely. And they're competing against renters like Michael Citrin, whose current lease is up. There's a possibility that I don't find something in the next two weeks and then I put my stuff in storage and stay on a friend's couch. I mean, you'd essentially be homeless. Yeah. In the midst of a rental battle that could last well into next year. Carter Evans, CBS News, Los Angeles.
2: Overseas now to Afghanistan, where one year of Taliban rule has reversed years of progress when it comes to basic rights for women and girls. With roughly 1 million teenage girls now barred from schools, CBS's MTS Tayyib reports that some are taking education into their own hands.
5: This is what defiance looks like, as 12 to 17-year-old girls enroll in unofficial schools like this one, founded by Dr. Zainab Mohammadi. So you're paying for this all yourself?
7: Yes. That
5: must be very difficult to do.
7: Yes, I think it, uh, it's uh, our, uh, my responsibility.
5: Although the Taliban formally forbids the education of teenage girls, Mohammadi says it largely turns a blind eye to her unofficial school as long as the girls are fully covered and men, for the most part, do not enter. Is it important that girls get an education? Yes. yes. But as strongly as these girls feel about being educated, coming here isn't easy. What does it feel like coming to a school like this, where you have to dress very conservatively and hide to get an education?
6: I feel bad.
5: You feel bad? Yes. It's a feeling 14-year-old Huda Siddiqui knows all too well. We met her last year, just months after the Taliban announced its ban on girls' education. One year later, and she's still out of school. Why is education so important?
4: If you don't o- reopen schools, where are they going to girls get educated? Like, then you're, you can't take your wives to female doctors. They have to get educated to
5: become doctors. Now, a Taliban spokesman insisted to us that this is only a temporary suspension, but one year on, and many girls say they don't believe it. Nora.
2: I don't believe it either. MTS Tayyab, thank you. Well, a brain-eating amoeba suspected in the death of a child in the Midwest. That story ahead in 60 seconds.
8: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
2: Tonight, Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson has been suspended for 11 games and fined $5 million over accusations of sexual misconduct. 24 women had sued Watson, accusing him of harassing or assaulting them during massages. He settled with 23 of them. An arbitrator initially suspended him for six games, but the league pushed for more. And today, Watson agreed to the 11-game suspension. Health officials in Nebraska say that a child likely died from brain-eating amoeba. The child whose age was not given may have been infected while swimming in the Elkhorn River. That's near Omaha last Sunday. These kinds of infections are very rare, only about three per year, but they are almost always fatal. Tonight, 17 million people in the West are under heat advisories from California to Washington State, and monsoon rain is returning to the Southwest. Much of Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah could see flash flooding through Saturday, with rain falling at up to two inches per hour. And still ahead, Eye on America, how one Indiana town is going in circles to save lives and fight fight climate change. Traffic fatalities in the U.S. hit a 20-year high in the first quarter of the year. And in tonight's Eye in America, one Indiana city thinks they found a roundabout answer for that and a number of other traffic woes. Here's CBS's Chris Van Cleave.
9: Carmel, Indiana, is sending drivers for a loop by design. Round and round we go. Yeah. The city is home to 142 roundabouts and counting more than any other city in the U.S., Mayor James Brainerd says it makes the community safer and greener. This is a buggy that we stopped at a light? Yes.
4: Two cars were going through this intersection. A roundabout would have moved uh, 30 cars through in the
9: same amount of time. By 2025, Carmel, home to more than 100,000, will be a one-stoplight town. We don't have to pave over paradise. We can keep our roads more narrow. and and that's better for the environment, it's better for pedestrians. There is a bit of a learning curve, but Carmel has been able to remove traffic lanes even as its population has more than quadrupled. The roundabouts create green space across Carmel, but what they're really doing is keeping traffic flowing, but slowing it down. Slower speeds make the road safer for pedestrians and bicyclists the insurance institute for highway safety found the switch to roundabouts cut injury crashes by nearly half and busy intersections like exiting highways saw an 84 percent drop
2: as traffic fatalities continue to rise in the u.s. we really need to be using all of the tools in our toolbox and roundabouts are one of those tools
9: and by eliminating idling of traffic lights carmel's roundabouts remove the equivalent of five thousand cars worth of carbon dioxide while saving drivers an estimated $14 million a year in gas, says former city engineer Michael McBride. If roundabouts work so well, why are they not everywhere in the U.S.? You know, I think the biggest
3: piece of that is education.
4: We're talking about human lives being saved by roundabout intersections. Once I think the world embraces that, roundabouts will be everywhere.
9: Nationally, there are about 7,900 roundabouts. New York and Virginia now require they be considered as an alternative. To folks around here, that sounds roundabout right. For Eye on America, Chris Van Cleve, Carmel, Indiana.
2: It's a brilliant idea. When we come back, too close for comfort after an encounter with a great white shark. Tonight, Apple is warning about serious security issues with many iPads, Macs, and iPhones. The flaw could allow hackers to take complete control of the devices. Security experts are urging people to update their software as soon as possible. Tonight, a 10-year-old boy faces a long recovery after being bitten by a bull shark while snorkeling off the Florida Keys last weekend. Jameson Reeder Jr. had the lower half of his leg amputated. The boy was rescued by family members who applied a tourniquet. Not far away, two researchers captured this close encounter with a great white shark. The shark circled their boat, but luckily did not attack. And there's been a major discovery off the coast of England. Divers found a U.S. Navy destroyer missing since it was sunk during World War I. The USS Jacob Jones was located in nearly 400 feet of water, its name clearly visible to the divers. A German submarine destroyed it nearly 105 years ago. 64 of 110 men on board were killed. And we'll be right back with a plan to save America's future with the help of America's pastime. Finally, tonight, one police officer here in D.C. is on a mission to keep kids off the street by putting them in the game. Here's CBS's Nancy Chen with tonight's Unifying America.
6: It's the championship game in one of Washington, D.C.'s most challenging communities. But there's more than a title at stake.
1: Somebody's neighbors just need a little bit of TLC. They need extra love.
6: For 10 summers now, Jason Medina from the Metropolitan Police Department has brought together children from neighborhoods often at odds. You guys are about to play each other tonight,
1: who's going to win?
6: Me. Me. (laughs) Medina credits a youth baseball program in New York for changing his life.
1: A lot of the the children that we grew up with in that neighborhood uh, lost their lives in their adult years or or incarcerated, it kind of showed us that there was life outside of New York.
6: Which is why he created the Ward 7
1: Baseball League in his off time. First time, I actually had to cut out the grass. I had to cut out the diamond with uh, my partners. Because there was no field? There was no field.
6: More than 400 kids have played for the league, including 13-year-old Cameron Haynes. What do you think you've learned from baseball?
1: Really just discipline. Oh, patience, patience, patience. I'm not trying to make uh, the number one athlete in the world. I'm just trying to make a better person.
6: And that already has been a home run. Nancy Chen, CBS News, Washington.
2: We need more programs like that. Just terrific. And that's tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell, right here in our nation's capital. Good night.
0: If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. If you enjoy tuning in to the CBS Evening News, there are official t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more available for purchase at paramountshop.com.